I don't remember if I, I told this story before, possibly because it was a very traumatic experience. But um, last, a few months back, I, I took both my boys to Discovery Science Center and um, just had a man day. And so the three of us were there. And, and the, the thing about the three of us is there's one of me and two of them. And that, that adds up to three. And I, I've got that down. And, and we had a great day, but my, my two boys are fairly active and fairly energetic. And so we were going through the outside area. If you've been there before, there's this huge dinosaur out there. And, and the, the boys are just like, ah, this is great. And, and we're down in the cave area. And all of a sudden, they go two different directions. And I don't know whether you remember, there's one of me and two of them. And, and so, so I follow the first one that I saw, thinking the other one will come behind me. And that didn't work out so well. And all of a sudden, I turn around and one of my boys is just gone. Just gone. And I can't find him and I run back out and there's crowds everywhere. And, and I, the, he is not to be found. And my heart at that point, as, as those of you with young children, and a lot of you have gone through that, my heart is just pounding as fast as it can and as hard as it can because I don't see my little boy. And, and in the process of looking, I grab my other one and say, you're not leaving me. And I'm holding him as, as tight as I can. I'm thinking, okay, how do I go home and tell Susie? And <clears throat> can I convince her we only have one son? And, and you know, all... And I'm running around, and finally I run up to a totally different area, and, and Jeffrey's walking out. Oops, I gave it away who it was. He's not, he, he's not here. So um, he's walking out with a worker, and a worker had taken him away and brought him into a, a room and, and figured out his story and was coming out, and, and we hugged and had this reunion, and those two boys never left my hands the rest of the time. But it's interesting because the fact that there was one of me and two of them is sort of where I want to go this morning. I had no way to be two places at once. I would have loved to have been with both of them, one down in the cave and the other was climbing on the, the dinosaur stuff. And I, I would have loved to have been two places at once, but there was no way I could have because as, as human beings, we're stuck. We're stuck with being in one place at one time, right? And that's hard sometimes in life. That's hard when we have multiple things to do. How many of you just feel like there's, there's too much to do in a week? Anyone ever feel that way? Almost every hand. Almost every hand. How many times have I said, if I could just clone myself, if there were just two of me, now the problem with that is, is we think if there were two of me, I'd get all my stuff done faster. But I know what we would do. We would just add enough stuff so that way both of me are too busy to survive. And, and so we are struggling with this idea that we are in one place at one time. How do we process everything we're supposed to do? And we come this morning to the attribute of God that says He is omnipresent. That He is everywhere. And it's an attribute that right from the start, just like many of the greatness attributes, we struggle to comprehend. Because I have never been everywhere. I never will be everywhere. I can't even conceive of not being in one place in one time because I am permanently tied to, to time and space. But God is not. And so we come to this attribute this morning thinking through, okay, how do we go beyond our experience? How do we go beyond our frustration of, of I can't be two places at once and, and the, the limitations that come with that and begin to understand that God does not 
experience any of those limitations. He does not experience the idea of, oh, if I could just clone myself or I could get more done because He is everywhere. In your notes, we start with a definition of what omnipresent means. And we, we start three weeks in a row here where we go through the different omnis and we've been talking about the greatness of God and I hope just really pressing our minds trying to comprehend the infinitude of God Almighty. And I hope that hurts our brains a little bit. And this morning as we go through the three omnis, I hope it still does. As we look today at His presence, and even though there's times that we don't feel His presence, even though there's times that we, we are, are pressed in on life, and we ask the question, where is God? Where is God? I just don't see Him. I just don't see Him working. How could God allow this? When we ask those questions, we come back to the truths of His character. And this morning, that's the truth of His omnipresence. The definition that we have in your notes is God is present in all places, at all times, with His whole being, as He does not have size or spatial dimensions. God is present in all places, at all times, with His whole being, as He does not have size or spatial dimensions. And we'll unpack that a little bit and, and see different parts of it and how that works out. But the idea is He's present in all places at all times. There is nowhere that God isn't. He is everywhere simultaneously. But He's there in His whole being. And we'll talk about what that means. Not just a part of God, not just a, a vapor of God, but he's, he's present in every place at every time with His whole being because He is entirely different. He does not have size or spatial dimensions. He is not constrained by spatial dimensions as we are. And that, that's where our brains start to hurt a little bit. We, we've got to get outside and, and try to understand that God is completely unlimited and He is different. So let's explore some of those parts and, and explore what His omnipresence means to us and how we, we put that into practice. The first point there has to do with that, that last part of the definition. God created all space and cannot be contained by it. God created all space and cannot be con contained by it. And when we think of space, we're not just thinking outer space and the stars. We're thinking all of the physical dimension. He created it and cannot be contained by it. We start the, the, the first verse of the Bible, and we've used this on several of the, the attributes, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And so right from the start, we see God created everything. With a word, everything that is came to be, out of nothing. And so right from the start, we see that God is not created. He is an entirely different being. And just as when Pastor Andrew was talking about His eternality and that He is above time, the same is true that He is above space. He is above the spatial dimension. Because He created it. He, he is over it. To, to, to use just a little illustration, which um, falls short if you press it too far, so don't press it too far. But if I take a piece of paper, and I fold it up, and I'm creating something here, the best I can. Now, this isn't out of nothing. I have a, a starting, starting ingredient, paper. And if I make a paper airplane, if I can remember how, I should know how to do this. 
what is true of this paper airplane? It is something that I've created. It's out of paper. It's just a little thing. What is true of my relationship with this paper airplane? I'm the creator. What do I get to do with it? Whatever I want. I could fly it. I could crush it. Well, if it would fly. I don't know. That's Some of you are saying, don't make any more paper airplanes. Is this me? No, this does not contain my being. This does not contain who I am. It's a reflection of, of my desire and my wishes, but it does not contain who I am. I am above it. I am wholly different from this paper airplane. None of you would see a paper airplane sitting in the back and say, there's Pastor Ron. Right? Now think of this in terms of God's omnipresence, and he created not only us, not only the earth, but he created the physical dimension. But that is not God. He is entirely different. He is entirely above that. In Acts 17.24, in Acts 17.24, the God who made the world and everything in it, and so, so we see the concept of he created all things, he made the world, everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, being above it, being over it, supreme over it, does not live in temples made by man. And, and the, the, the teaching there is that God created all things and so he doesn't, he isn't contained by it. Now that doesn't mean he's not there in every part of it, but the difference is this is not the entirety of God. He is greater than physical space. He made space. And we see the attribute of his immensity that we've talked about throughout the attributes of his greatness. And it doesn't matter how much we discover about space, how large we, we discover space is, that's a speck compared to the immensity of God. Remember, before creation, God is. He was. He lived just fine without spatial dimension and without creation because he is outside of it. He is above it. 1 Kings 8.27, another similar verse to Acts 17. But will God indeed dwell on earth? Behold, heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you. How much less this house that I have built. And again, the, 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 the idea of dwelling there is the idea of containing. Does God just exist in this building? Is He just present in this building when we come to worship? Does it contain Him? No, nothing can contain Him. Our thoughts of God are too human. We struggle to, to think that God is above a spatial dimension. But that's the starting point. And that's just by way of explanation, trying to understand omnipresence a little bit more. God created all space and cannot be contained by it. Second point, God is wholly present everywhere. God is wholly present everywhere. A couple of verses that we want to look at, and we'll look at two major passages today with a whole bunch of other verses we'll, we'll add in there. Turn to Psalm 139. Psalm 139, verse 7. Keep one finger there. And then we'll also be looking at Jeremiah 23. So you can keep another finger there. But let's start with Psalm 139. God is wholly present everywhere. And what we mean by that is He is present 
in his whole being, not just a part. There's been some heresies that have said, well, God exists and creation is, exists within God. And so, you know, this part of creation might be his hand and this part of creation might be his spirit and this part of creation might, and they're trying to segregate that and, and put God into a spatial dimension that say different parts of God are different parts of his creation. But that is absolutely not true. From Scripture, we see that God in His entirety, His whole being, the essence of who He is, exists at every point of creation. Psalm 139, verse 7. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where where shall I flee from your presence? And we're going to continue looking at Psalm 139 in a minute. But just look at that first verse for a minute. Where shall I go from your spirit? There is no place that I can go that is apart from your spirit, your whole being, who you are. Where can I flee from your presence? And again, the idea, the idea of presence is coming before the person himself. And so right from the start, the, the teaching is that God's Spirit, who He is, His being is everywhere. Not just a part of God, not just looking at God and, and somehow saying, oh, there He is, but His very being. Keep a finger there and turn over to Jeremiah 23, verse 23. And Jeremiah here is, is addressing some prophets that, that are, are worshiping local deities that have this idea that these idols are God and, and God is just here in this place and only here in this place. And in Jeremiah 23, verse 23, Am I a God at hand, declares the Lord, and not a God far away? And we have to understand what, what he's saying because it makes it sound like God is distant, but he's, he's addressing this idea that this idol contains God. And he's saying, am I a God at hand? Am I only in existence right here? No, I'm also a God that's far away because I'm everywhere and, and I'm above all things. And he goes on to explain it in verse 24. Can a man hide himself in secret places so that I cannot see him, declares the Lord? Think about that for a minute. If God is everywhere in his entire being, is there anywhere that we can go and hide from God? Is there anywhere out of of His dominion? No. And he goes on in verse 24, Do I not fill heaven and earth? Declares the Lord. Do I not fill heaven and earth? And so God is present everywhere in His entire being. Who He is fills everything. And the prophets are rebuked for thinking their thoughts were hidden from God, for thinking that God was just localized and if I run away, I can somehow hide it. But again, this goes back to point number one. Just because God fills heaven and earth doesn't mean that's the entirety of God. Tozer describes it as it's like filling a bucket of water out of the ocean. Is the bucket full? Absolutely. Is there still water in the ocean? Yeah, I don't care how many buckets you take. You can pull buckets up onto the sand all day and you haven't even touched the ocean. But what a great picture of God filling heaven and earth like the bucket fills every part of it, but it's just a taste of His immensity. Just a taste of His immensity. So He fills heaven and earth. See, if there were places where God didn't exist, 
then, then he would be limited. Then he wouldn't be infinite. He wouldn't be supreme. He wouldn't be God. There's no place that he cannot be found. There is no place that he isn't working. He is above all things, but he is always working in, he is always also working in all things. And that's the tension between his, his imminence that he is near, that he is working, and his transcendence that he is supreme that we've been talking about with the greatness of God. One child was asked, why is there but one God? And the child answered, because God fills every place and there's no room for another one. Great answer. Great answer. A couple of cautions. When we say that God and His whole being is present everywhere, we are not saying that God is in everything. And the distinction is important because in pantheism and New Ageism, which we see arising, they would say that God is contained in things. So this pan is God. Part of God. That would be pantheism, right? This chair, this person, this beam, everything has part of God in them. And that is not what we are saying when we say God's presence exists everywhere. And it's an important distinction, especially with the kinds of things you're going to hear today at work and at school and some of the the doctrines today. But God is able, because He is present everywhere, He is able to meet needs, deal with problems, in the entirety of His created realm at the same time without batting an eye. And sometimes we can think of His omnipresence as He's like Superman. Superman can run really fast and be at a lot of places at one time, right? And then we end up with a God who's tired. A God who's trying to run from thing to thing. That's not what we're talking about. Simultaneously, He is existent in every place at every time. And he is really here. A couple weeks ago, I was in Portugal and I was Skyping home every day. And one of the days, Alicia was there and I said hi to Alicia and she ran away. And she wouldn't come talk to Daddy. And, and I was trying to understand why and Susie was trying to explain why. And, and the statement she made is, I want Daddy here for real. This is fake. This is pretend even though I tried to hug through the camera and, and all that good stuff. But she, she caught something about presence that is important to understand. Presence of the whole being, like we're describing God, is, is physically being there, really being there. Whereas sometimes we think of God in terms of we Skype God. And God is the man upstairs. And when we need something, we turn on the computer and make a call and, and we ask Him for, for something. And, and He's right there. But, and we think of that as presence. That is not what omnipresence is. Omnipresence is His real being with us every moment of every day in every place. Not fake. Not Skyped. But real. See, our problem with understanding God's presence is is not that He's not present. Our problem usually is that we don't recognize His presence. That we don't do the things that make us aware of His presence. And sometimes we say that with God, we we ask You to just be here. Be here. Come and and be with us. And, And we'll talk about different kinds of presence, but if 
we have to think in our heads that no, He's already here. He's always been here. Am I going to tune myself and change myself to a point where I will recognize Him? And so God is wholly present everywhere. Then as we begin to look at the implications of the omniscience or omnipresence of God, we get the next three points. The first is not sensing God's presence does not mean He is not present. I know there's three knots in there. But let me repeat that. Not sensing God's presence does not mean He is not present. We can easily get into to a mindset that if I don't feel God's presence, if I don't sense God's presence, then He is not here. This plays off what we just talked about in the last point. But that has nothing to do with whether or not He is present. And so we have to understand that there's different kinds of presence and understand what kinds of things create distance from that presence. First, there's three different kinds of presence. The first is the presence of being. The presence of being. And that's what we've been talking about. God exists everywhere in His whole being. And so God is, is with you every step of every day and never leaves. And it's, it's not that He travels with you. He exists in all places at all times because He is above space. But the second presence and the, and the third kind of presence help us understand some verses in the Bible that talk about leaving God's presence or not experiencing God's presence. How does that work out with, with omnipresence? And so the second type of presence is the presence of relationship. The presence of communion. One of the words for presence that's often used in the Bible is the idea of coming before someone, before their face, and talking face to face. And when you think of talking to someone face to face, that's a very relational idea. If I'm talking to, to AJ face to face, we are talking, it's a two-way communication, and there's relationship there. And so at times the presence, when, when we talk about the presence of God, it's talking about that relational presence. A relational presence that we can do things that interrupt that. God is still present in being, but we don't have a relational presence because we have allowed things to interrupt that. We'll talk about that for a moment. In Genesis 4.16, we'll look at a number of verses that may seem contradictory to the omnipresence of God, but when we, when we start to understand the different kinds of presence, we can get it. Genesis 4.16, it's the story of Cain and God judging Cain. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in, in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Simple verse, but we may read that and say, how can he go away from the presence of the Lord? You just said he was omnipresent. He was everywhere. Well, this is a verse that's talking about the relational presence of God. Cain, because of his sin, because of his actions, and because of the judgment of God, has separated from a relationship with God. We see that in other places. Psalm 140.13 compared with Psalm 11.7 Surely the righteous shall give thanks to your name. The upright shall dwell in your presence. But then with Psalm 11.7, he describes that a little bit. For the Lord is righteous. He loves righteous deeds. 
the upright shall behold his face. And in these parallel passages, we see God's presence, his relational presence, compared with beholding his face, with being in relationship with him. And so we come to the question of why do we sense distance? Why then do we break that relationship at times? Why can God be omnipresent, but there can be times I don't experience that because I've broken that relational presence? To understand that, we need to look at the third kind of presence that is in your notes. God can be present to judge. God can be present to judge. His presence can be a joy. His presence can be judgment if there is sin. In Jeremiah 23, 39, God's Word says, Therefore, behold, I will surely lift you up and cast you away from My presence, you and the city that I gave to you and to your fathers. And we we have terminology of casting away from His presence. And it's not that He's not present where they are sent, but that He is judging them and that judgment removes the relational presence. Amos 9 has an extended passage that talks about that same thing. And at the end of it, God says, I will fix my eyes upon them for evil and not for good. Speaking of judgment because of their sin. So why do we sense distance from God? Why do we come to points in our walks where we're like, I don't even know if God is present. I don't feel His presence. I don't understand His presence. I don't sense His presence. There's two major reasons that we find in Scripture. The first is because of sin. Because of sin. And this is the part of the sobering side of the omnipresence of God. When we have sin in our lives, that, that creates a wall, a block in that relational presence of enjoying His presence that is there. Communion is broken. See, communion happens when there are, when, when there are two people that have something in common, when there's similarity. And between God and ourselves, when we are sinful creatures, there is no similarity between us and God when we have sin in our lives. That sin is unholy. God is completely holy. There is a chasm between the two. The only way, the only way that we can have communion with God is through the blood of Jesus Christ that bridges that chasm. Because the blood of Jesus Christ and in forgiveness of our sins because He took the, our took our place on the cross, that allows God to see us as righteous through the work of Jesus Christ. And we can have communion. We can have sweet fellowship with God and experience His, His presence. However, when we sin and when we allow sin in our lives, we allow unholiness. When it's unconfessed sin, we're allowing unholiness to reign And that will break relationship with God. Several verses that that I've written down in your notes but are good to go back and read, especially at times where we are feeling distant from God. Isaiah 59.2 But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. Your sins have hidden His face from you so that He does not hear. Pretty direct. Isaiah is just laying it out there. Your sins have separated you from God, have hidden you from His presence. 
In Ephesians 4.18, we see the same concept. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of their hearts. And Paul is saying that they are alienated from relationship with God, from understanding His presence, because of the sin that reigns in their heart. Why do we sense distance? Sometimes it's because we have unconfessed sin in our lives. Things that we have let go that we have not dealt with. And I urge us as a a congregation, as a church family, if we're at a point where where we're saying, I'm struggling with the whole idea of God's presence, the first step is to say, what do I need to confess? What do I need to deal with? And we need to get real with that. We cannot think that sin has no consequence. One wife was complaining that her husband doesn't sit as close to her in the car anymore. And he answered, well, I'm driving. I have to sit behind the wheel. If I'm not sitting as close to you anymore, I'm not the one who's moved. And that's true. That's true with our Father. If we're struggling with feeling close to God, He's omnipresent. He's not the one that's moved. Our hearts have blocked that. Our hearts have moved. But praise God, by repentance, by giving our sins to Him, by by changing and giving up those things, those sins we hold dearly, we can be restored to that relationship. In Acts chapter 3, verse 19, we read, Repent, therefore, Turn back that your sins may be blotted out. But then verse 20, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Repent, turn back that your sins are forgiven, but the result of that is that God's presence refreshes and restores. We sense distance because of sin. A second reason we feel distance is because of expectations. Because of expectations. As I've talked with people over the years, one of the things I often hear is, well, I don't feel God's presence the same way anymore. And and we're looking for that high of when God was working and we saw God answering prayer and some sort of spiritual high. And my answer is, good! You shouldn't feel God's presence that way anymore. It changes over time. The deeper the relationship gets, it changes to a knowing, to an understanding that God is present whether or not I feel it. And so at times we struggle with the presence of God because we're trying to feel it instead of know it. How many first kisses do you get with your spouse? One, right? And, and it's, it's amazing, it's exciting, it's a great time. But, but you don't go back to that, and praise God you don't go back to that. After 20-some years of marriage, it's not the, the first kiss excitement that I'm looking for. It's being able to sit in a room and work on different things and sit next to each other and know that that person loves you deeply. And know that you love them deeply. Even if you never say a word. 
It's knowing that Susie knows me better than anyone else on the face of this planet and knows my faults and knows my junk and she still will sit next to me and love me. That is so much deeper than the excitement of a first kiss. And when we come to our walk with God, we have this expectation that we'll be on this emotional high. And and there are times that God blesses that, praise God. But we have to get to where we understand that our relationship with God is so much deeper. God may even at times allow us to feel an absence of His presence to help us grow past just a surface emotional relationship with Him. To a deep knowing and understanding. It's that knowing and understanding that through some of the darkest times in our life have allowed us to say, I, I, I'm struggling, life is hard, but I know God loves me and He is present and walking through this with me. Why don't we feel God's presence? Oftentimes because of sin, but oftentimes because of bad expectations, wrong, wrong expectations. Two other points by way of application and implication and how do we put this into practice. Number four, God is present wherever you go. God is present wherever you go. And there's great promise there. There's great comfort there. Turn back to Psalm 139, verse 7. Psalm 139, verse 7. We'll read through verse 12. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where, where shall I flee from your presence? And then catch the next few verses as he describes where God is in the expanse. And he's using these terms that let us know God is everywhere and He's with us wherever. If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I go to the highest point, I can't get away from the presence of God. He is still with me wherever I go. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. To the depths of hell, God is there. Now just as a side note, the the question sometimes comes up, well, God is omnipresent, but is He present in hell? Absolutely, He's present in hell. Absolutely, He's there. It's the presence of judgment. His very presence is what makes hell so torturous. Because in the, in the, to, to know that we have denied Him and rejected Him, or those in hell have denied and rejected Him, and to see His presence of judgment. And we see that in this verse. We see that in Revelation 14.10. He also will drink the wine of God's wrath poured full strength into the cup of His anger and He will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And so the psalmist here is saying whether I go to heaven or whether I go to hell, even places we wouldn't think God could be, He is there. Just as a side note, some will, will use 2 Thessalonians 1.9 to say, okay, how does that with the whole hell thing, how does that work out? Because in 2 Thessalonians 1.9, it says they will, pun- they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His might. And we again have to understand the different kinds of presence. It's away from the relational presence of the Lord, being in communion with Him. There is no communion with God when we're under His wrath and His punishment. But His presence is still there. But in verse 9, 
if I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, and what he's probably using there is poetic imagery of the wings of the morning to the east, the farthest east where the sun rises, to the depths of the sea, for them that was to the west and that was the uttermost parts of the west. No matter how high I go, no matter how low I go, no matter how far east, no matter how far west, He is there. Verse 10, Even your hand shall lead me. Your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me through the most difficult times of life, and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day for darkness is as light with you. God is present wherever we go. God is always with us. And, and as, we, as we dwell on that truth, we come to understand that God's presence is to be a source of joy for us, a source of comfort, a source of help. This morning as we look at the omnipresence of God, one of the implications of that is He is near. He is near no matter what happens in life. He is near when you're sitting in the hospital with a loved one about to go into surgery. He is near when, when the troubles of life seem like they're going to crush us. There is no place that God is not with us. He is near. As, as Jesus gave the Great Commission, He ends it by saying, And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And the to the end of the age lets us know this is far more than the disciples. This is to the end of the age. This is a, a message to His church that He is with us no matter what. This week, my family's been ill, and one of the nights, Mark was, was really struggling and throwing up throughout the night, and we put a sheet out in the family room for him, and he's laying there just, just suffering, and we're about to go to bed, and, and he says, I don't know if I can do this. And I leaned over and put my hand on him and said, son, I'm going to be sleeping right here next to you. I'm going to sleep here right next to you. And the look on his face made me think of the presence of God as his eyes got big, and then he smiled, and he fell asleep. And when we think of the omnipresence of God, it means God is with us. He is here no matter what we're going through. And it gives peace, and it gives his blessing. But the second half of that is there's also a warning. And point number five is God sees whatever you do. God sees whatever you do. And He is with us to comfort, to guide us, to help us through life. But He also sees whatever we do. And that should, that should scare us. That should make us tremble. It's accountability of a degree that no one here can offer. Because in Proverbs 15.3, we read, The eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on the evil and the good. Hebrews 4.13, And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. 
And so when we think of the omnipresence of God, it's that He's here with us to, to help us and comfort us, but He's also here with us and He sees everything we do. The things that we do in secret. The, the sins that we commit because we think that no one is watching. God is there. And He is watching. And we are dragging Him through that. And that should be a sobering reminder. What will it take for us to understand the presence of God and stop sinning in His presence? One businessman, as he travels, he, he just to stay away from temptation, he'd always take a picture of his wife. And when he went into a hotel room, he'd put the picture on the nightstand facing the TV. And it helped him remember, stay pure. Stay pure. Well, what if we took that and said, God is with us everywhere we go. He's with us when I come home and I want to say some things that out of anger that I shouldn't say. He's with me when I'm alone in front of the computer screen. He's with me in every conversation that I have. See, God's presence is a blessing and a comfort, but it's also a warning and accountability. This week, practice the presence of God. As you go about every moment of the week, consciously say, God is here. God is here. He is with me. What kinds of things is He seeing? But also, He's with me to... to Give me hope to bless as I walk with Him to be in relationship. If you need to, use practical things to remind you that He is with you. Maybe leave an empty chair at the table. Say, that's, that's God's seat. Just remind ourselves that He is with us. Maybe put a note on the dashboard, a post-it note or something that says, God's with me while I'm driving, even in rush hour. Maybe put a note, men, on, your, on the door as we enter the house in the evening that said, God is watching how I interact with my family. Practicing the presence of God. Meditate on that this week. Meditate on what it means that He is there and He is always there. This morning we, we celebrate communion. And communion is about celebrating the presence of God. His, it, it's a reminder, a remembering of what He did on the cross. The bread through His body. The blood through His sacrifice. The forgiveness of sins. But it's reminding us that He came to provide a way for us to be near to Him. To provide a way for us to experience the presence of relationship. So this morning as we, we take communion... Think about God's presence, what that means, the blessings, the warnings. But praise God for what He's done. If you don't know God, if, you don't ex- if you've never experienced His presence because sin has never been dealt with, this is the time to deal with it. To come to God and say, God, I have sinned. I want to be right with You. I repent and I follow You with my life. If you know Him and sin has been getting in the way, it's time to confess that and deal with it before we even touch the elements. And then as we take communion,
to experience the sweet fellowship of his presence. Let's pray together. Dear Lord God, we thank you for your omnipresence. We thank you that we are never alone, that we have your comfort. And Lord, as hard as it is, I thank you for the revealing aspect of your presence, the accountability. I pray that you would reveal sin in each of our lives and let us deal with it, take care of it, that we would take away the things that are interfering with our, our, our relationship with you, with our communion with you. Lord, I praise you that you have promised you are with us and that nothing will change that. Thank you for your sacrifice. In Jesus' name, amen.